Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The, yeah, revolution starts now. Edition, as the Joe Burrow era begins with the arrival of this year's rookies for the start of training camp. Coming up, I'll talk to Robert Weintraub, who covers the Bengals for Cincinnati Magazine, and wrote the team's season preview for this year's edition of the Football Outsiders Almanac. Robert is also a diehard Bengals fan who is as giddy as the rest of us about Joe Burrow. Then, for the first time in a few weeks, it's my broadcast partner Dave Lapham as he answers my questions and yours. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since The Way I Heard It Podcast with Mike Rowe. You know Mike Rowe, the host of Dirty Jobs on the Discovery Channel and the deep-voiced pitchman for Ford Truck Commercials. I recently became aware of a podcast that he's been doing for about four years called The Way I Heard It. If you're old enough to remember radio legend Paul Harvey and his now you know the rest of the story features. This podcast is very similar. They're short stories with a clever twist at the end. The writing is great, and Mike Rowe's vocal presentation is nothing short of magnificent. The stories are less than 10 minutes long, and you'll love them. So check out The Way I Heard It with Mike Rowe wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's get to football. Last year... I purchased the Football Outsiders Almanac for the first time and did it somewhat reluctantly. In my mind, I pictured it being mostly a book of in-depth stats, and while I like that stuff, I already get plenty of data from Pro Football Focus and elsewhere. Well, man, was I wrong. The Football Outsiders Almanac is more than 500 pages long, and while it definitely includes a lot of statistical analysis, the writing is great, and it's filled with snarky humor. It includes in-depth previews for all 32 NFL teams, and the Bengals chapter this year was written by Robert Weintraub, who also covers the team for Cincinnati Magazine. I spoke to Robert this week. Robert, I guess your feelings about Joe Burrow can be summed up by this sentence that you wrote in Cincinnati Magazine, quote, pure awesomeness oozing out of his every pore. (laughs) Don't hold back. Yeah, did I oversell it just a wee there? I, I, if anything, I feel like I undersold that. Uh, yeah, it was uh, amazing. I remember I went to the uh, LSU Oklahoma semifinal. I live in Atlanta. It was here, and uh, I was a quiver, I guess you'd say, at all times. And by halftime, I was just yelling for them to take Burrow out so he wouldn't get injured, and just I wanted him to go directly into the Bengal lineup right at that point. Uh, <laughs> There's no doubt he provides, you know, a boost of excitement and, and optimism that we haven't felt in the Bengal land in some time. So uh, what what else is there to, to say? You know, we can only hope that any of that translates to the NFL, especially in this bizarre, you know, off season that we've had. And hopefully we even have a season. But I guess we'll put that that note of uh, pessimism aside and just you know, hope that Joe translates as we think he should. He has all the traits, you know, uh, he certainly has the mind for the game and he's, his statistical numbers at LSU were off the charts, uh, both counting and 
what we call analytical numbers uh, over here at Football Outsiders. So, you know, he's we have a projection system that is called Cubase, and uh, he had the second highest of all time for any starter with uh, less two or fewer years of starting. The only one ever was Alex Smith, Alex Smith, who uh, bested him, but he had a higher projection than the likes of Cam Newton and even Tua Tagovailoa, who, who will be compared to, no doubt, throughout his career. So, uh, and I think he, he certainly projects as a higher possibility than even Alex Smith. So, if we can get that kind of career out of Joe, it would be, you know, it would be great. And, you know, sky's the limit. We can dream even higher than that, hopefully, uh, if they ever get a chance to play ball again. Nobody wants to see their team start 0 and 11 and go 2 and 14, but ultimately was bottoming out the best thing long term for this franchise. I don't think there's any doubt about it, right? I mean, where would six and ten have gotten them? Absolutely nowhere. Maybe even yet another year of of Andy Dalton. I mean, nothing against Andy, but we couldn't have had yet another year of spinning the wheels, right? I mean, maybe you could argue that. Okay, you bottom out next this year coming up, and then you have uh, another three or four quarterbacks who are potentially franchise quarterbacks, I guess. But you know, you have a chance at one. You grab them, and you don't look back. And I think there's no doubt they really the three games that you know Andy didn't start this past year, and Ryan Finley were in was in there wound up being the most important three games of the season probably because uh, you know who knows what happens if Dalton starts those games, and maybe the Bengals finish four and twelve and. We're all trying to talk ourselves into Justin Herbert right about now, you know. So uh, I don't think there's any question. If you're going to be a bad team, there's no benefit in being a sort of a bad team, just being all the way a bad team. And that just doesn't go for Joe Burrow. Uh, You know, it it makes the whole franchise look in the mirror and make a raft of changes, which obviously they did uh, in many other places, not just a quarterback. So I think that's overall for the best. Uh, Spinning their wheels had been done for about four years, and it was enough already. We're talking to Robert Weintraub, who wrote the Bengals chapter in this year's Football Outsiders Almanac. I want to talk about free agency. The Bengals obviously went all in, DJ Reader, Trey Waynes, and six others. You wrote something that I hadn't seen anywhere else, and that is that the Bengals are basically one year behind the Packers, an organization that has always stressed draft and development. And then last year, the Packers embraced free agency. They signed Zadarius Smith. They signed Preston Smith and several other guys and wound up going 13-3. and Do you think the Bengals learned from Green Bay? Yeah, I don't necessarily think they'll go 13-3, and but I don't think there's any doubt that they saw what the landscape of the NFL looks like now. I think a large part of that is in place because of the new rules that were put in effect limiting practice time. Uh, you know, there was a period when the Packers and the Bengals were sort of looked at as the the models for what to do. You draft and develop. You don't overspend. You keep your guys, and that was the very you know sort of ideal of team building. But now, especially because with such a lack of practice time, a veteran who knows what he's doing out there uh, is sort of more prized than he had been even a couple of years ago. Now, uh, I don't think there's any doubt that you have to kind of uh, change what the Bengals have been doing so, you know, full on in terms of ignoring the free agent pool and spending more money to get guys who you can rely on and aren't going to need a whole bunch of coaching into your system and a whole bunch of coaching up just to get to a level of play where you want them to be, only to see them walk out the door, you know, as when they become free agents. So, yes, I do think that they uh, they learned maybe a year after the Packers, and the Packers obviously had Aaron Rodgers, that helped them to go 13-3, and but, uh, you know, I look for Cincinnati to improve just on that basis alone. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Uh, their defense was as bad as could be last year. 
we have a saying called the plexiglass principle in the analytic world, which means that when you're really bad at anything or really good, you tend to regress toward the mean the following year. So that means that even by just mathematical principles, they should be better next year on defense than they were last year. But I don't think there's any doubt that the wholesale changes will improve the team, especially the tackling. They obviously made a lot of these changes with the likes of Lamar Jackson and Nick Chubb in mind, and uh, that that seems to be uh, a solid principle to go after. Running the football in the AFC North is more prized than it is elsewhere in the league, and the Bengals couldn't stop it last year. The top three players in the entire league who missed tackles by our charting were all Bengals. Jeez. Sean, <laughs> I mean, that's right, right there. It tells you all you need to know, and Jesse Bates and Sean Williams are two of them. They're back. Nick Vigil is gone, but uh, you know, certainly we'll see the secondary tackle better, take better angles, you know, use their space more uh, to their advantage. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, you really can't necessarily teach in the limited practice time anymore. You just have to have guys who can do it. And hopefully these are the right guys. Well, that's interesting because the three guys they signed as free agents to play in the secondary, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, and Von Bell, were all known for their ability to stop the run. People worry about Trey Waynes. Is he, is he truly a number one corner? Well, we'll see. But one thing he has proven is the willingness to get in there and tackle people. No question. I mean, that, that was an undoubted reason they got him. I mean, in terms of just pass-covering numbers, him and, and Drake or Patrick are pretty much identical, but there's no question that uh, Trey Waynes is a much more willing tackler, uh, not just do it, does it better, but gets his nose in there much more often than Trey did. Trey made a lot of business decisions out there, it seems like. Uh, and, you know, he, does he have to be a number one corner? William Jackson still, to me, has the ability to be that number one corner, and when it came out that he played the entire season, basically, with a torn labrum, that sort of explains some of his kind of indifferent play from time to time. So, I think in that sense, the Bengals could definitely have improved. And obviously, you mentioned Von Bell, an outstanding run stopper. Mackenzie Alexander as well. Although Darquise Denard, we should point out, also had very good run stopping numbers and played injured. And seems like uh, he's possibly available for you know future signing if need be. He could play that Chris Crocker role maybe down the down the uh, down the fairway here if uh, he's still unsigned. He could come back and, and help out. He's certainly a good run uh, support player. Yeah, for those who uh, missed it, he did sign in the offseason with Jacksonville, but then failed the physical, so he's still out right. there. Yeah, and I wouldn't be shocked if he came back, as, certainly as injuries mount or you know things happen in this bizarre offseason that we're in. Uh, you know, He'd probably go with, you know, I don't know if there's some behind-the-scenes issue that would prevent him from doing that, but to the outsider, it would seem like a natural fit for him to come back and play at least on a limited basis. We are chatting with Robert Weintraub, who writes about the Bengals for Cincinnati Magazine, Football Outsiders, and others. You mentioned reduced practice time and reduced practice contact. Well, this year, no OTAs, no mini camps in the offseason. For Joe Burrow, no private workouts with receivers. Now it looks like no preseason games. What do you think that's going to mean for Joe Burrow? <laughs> I mean, it can't be good, right, obviously. Uh, I do think if you're talking – and I have no mathematical precise basis to base this on, but uh, if you're talking about any quarterback out there who you would like to see in a situation like that, uh, certainly Burrow looks like he's the mature kind of go-forward guy who you, know, you 
you would handle something like that as best as possible. But obviously, it's it's not an ideal situation. He's not really ever thrown to AJ Green, uh, you know, in any real capacity until they show up at training camp, and who knows what that's going to look like. I mean, it's entirely possible the first time he ever throws a pass to AJ Green would be in the first game of this season with no fans in the stands and who knows what else is going on. So uh, it's a bizarre situation, obviously, all around. But, you know, if you're going to have a guy, one thing that set Joe apart from not just all his competitors this past year, but pretty much everybody we've seen in college football in the last decade, two decades, was his, you know, Joe Cool, if you will, his incredible ability to just shut out everything around him, make plays, and put his team in the best situations possible, and that's that's a maturity that's rare. He's a coach's kid. He knows what's he knows what's going on. He's been in touch with the the Bengals coaching staff this entire process. I feel like so. If anybody can make uh, lemonade out of this particular uh, lemon tree, it'll be Joe Burrow. Robert, I mentioned that uh, you wrote the Bengals season preview in the Football Outsiders Almanac this year. Mine is on the way. I can't wait to get it. Uh, I purchased it for the first time last year, and I can't stress enough to football fans how awesome it is. Not only is the, the data great, but the writing is entertaining. And you did not write last year's Bengals preview, but I want to read how it ended. This is slightly paraphrased. Final sentence. The next step is probably for Zach Taylor to determine what does and doesn't work over 16 games, then let the roster bloodletting begin. So <laughs> that's basically exactly how it played out. So no what's, the, what's the next step this year? I think it's an obvious sort of you still see what you have, and let's just put aside all the, the pandemic slash who knows what's going to happen uh, issues of it aside just approach it from a normal season from Zach Taylor's point of view and that would be still to, you know see what works with Joe Burrow see what he likes to do best see how all the new arrivals mesh and in what capacity they work best maybe adjust some of his uh, strategic tendencies which we saw this year really mirror what he learned under Sean McVay in Los Angeles you know a ton of three wide receiver one-back sets. The Bengals led the league in three wide receiver sets. And uh, a lot of max protection. They were in the top five in max protection. Uh, and maybe add some more play action into it, uh, which they didn't really do last year, which was a bit of a surprise, because that's a McVay for, uh, principles, for sure. And to take, you know, on both sides of the, of the coin, on the defense as well, and see what works best. And you know, hopefully you have a quarterback who can make these things work, obviously, and, and improve the offense. Last year was just a battle just to get first downs and, and occasional points. <laughs> you know, let's face it, they were such a struggle to move the ball at times that you almost couldn't do anything except for, you know, kind of look toward what you're going to replace. Uh, this year you hope to see what, you know, what will be more of a fine-tuning process, actually win some close games. Bengals were winless in one-score games, uh, and that's, you know, unusual for any team. That should bounce back a little bit. So learn how to win, learn what works best, obviously improve, maybe even sniff a playoff first with the expanded playoffs, but let's not dream too big. And then use year three as the year and year two of Joe Burrow. As your kind of go-for-it year, that's when your window really opens, uh, and hopefully you'll have, you know, a found uh, foundation that you can really build upon and, and you know, look for a championship-level team for the immediate future after that. There will be dozens of interesting statistical nuggets in this year's Almanac. You've shared a few things uh, so far in this conversation. 
as you looked at things about the individual players, did anything really catch your eye, maybe explaining why a guy might be better or worse than you thought? Well, one that stood out just because everybody else's numbers were so bad, were so bad was uh, Tyler Boyd's positive numbers and the way that he, uh, in the middle of the field, was so effective and also just had uh, third down and fourth down high efficiency rates that Nobody else on the team came anywhere close to, as you can imagine. And that speaks a lot for him, just as a player and as a guy who can get things done, even when he doesn't have the speed on the outside that you you would think he would require. And certainly when there is that kind of player with him, like A.J. Green. You know, we forget Green and Boyd have hardly ever really played together. Certainly since Boyd has gotten to be the Tyler Boyd we know, Green has been out. So and John Ross has mostly been out as well, uh, or in and out of the lineup anyway. So he has hardly ever had a real speed guy to take the attention of the defense away from the middle of the field and away from him. So he's been double covered a lot, had a lot of uh, even more than I thought really, a lot of attention paid to him, and still put up not just good counting numbers but very good efficiency numbers. And uh, that was that was a bit of a surprise and more. Uh, certainly more impressive to me than I thought it was going to be. Mm. Um, you know, there are some other ones that are negative. I was still surprised at how little Joe Mixon got used in the passing game. I think that's a real place where they could improve this year coming up. And as we saw in at LSU, Joe Burrow excelled at, at using the running backs and tight ends in you know sort of his open sets and uh, ways to uh, exploit mismatches. So I think you'll see Mixon become much more of a passing threat. And he sort of has to be, especially if he wants the contract, which we all think he does. Robert, you made an interesting observation about T. Higgins. Uh, that I haven't seen anywhere else. Most people compare him to A.J. Green. You say Carl Pickens, hopefully with a more cheerful disposition. (laughs) (laughs) No offense to Carl. I love Pick. Don't get me wrong. uh, Great player, but interesting cat. Right. It wasn't uh, necessarily the same guy you uh, expected him to be off the field. Well, T, uh, yeah, comparing him to A.J. Green is really doing him a disservice, as it would be to most uh, young receivers. A.J. Green came in as an incredibly high-end finished product. Um, and TJ, uh, T. Higgins is not a speed merchant, not nearly the speed merchant that A.J. is and was. Um, this is a guy who you know, is more about catch radius, uh, incredible catch radius, and making plays around the ball. And surprisingly for his figure, you know, his, his, his frame is very large, but he, he does a great deal uh, after the catch. He's very strong, has great balance. Uh, you'll see that he doesn't necessarily run away from guys when he has the ball in the open field, but he's very hard to break down. And that's uh, sort of an element that you haven't seen in Cincinnati in a while, and I, I feel like that's a Pickens thing as well, both going up and getting the ball, and then once he does, you know, making it hard for the defender to bring him down. AJ just runs, either runs right away from guys or gets wide open you know, right off the line. Neither of those things are really T. Higgins' strong suits, but he does have plenty of others. And, uh, you know, if you have a guy, he, he saw Burrow play in college. He, he did a lot of back shoulder throws, a lot of throws that let uh, both Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase go up and get balls where only they could get it. That really plays right into Higgins' strength, and I think you'll see a lot of that in Cincinnati this year, hopefully. We're chatting with Robert Weintraub, who wrote the uh, Bengals chapter in this year's Football Outsiders Almanac. Linebacker play has been lousy in recent years. Between Josh Bynes and the three draft picks, what are your expectations for that position group? Um, Not 
not especially high just because they're all rookies, like you say, and Josh Bynes, while, you know, a decent player is really just a journeyman. Um, if the most I think he brings is sort of a knowledge of the Ravens offense and, and maybe some of the moves that Lamar Jackson likes to use and maybe he'll, uh, won't get faked out of his cleats so easily as some of the other uh, Bengal linebackers had been. Uh, certainly, you know, the likes of Logan Wilson and uh, the other draftees that they picked this year have great promise. Uh, you know, and they're going to be asked to do a lot. The, the aspect of coming straight into the NFL, especially as we've been talking without any of the uh, off-season ability to learn the scheme and get on the field. That's that's asking a lot in their first season to really make an impact. It's certainly the impact that they were required to turn the position group around. I still think Jermaine Pratt is the guy who will wind up being the leader of that position and being somebody that you know st- takes a step forward this year. Whether he turns into a, a real stud at the position remains to be seen, but I think he showed toward the end of last year that he was making great strides. And maybe that's what you'll see from the other rookies as well, sort of a... 12, 14, you know, 10 to 12 game breaking in period. And then that final month really makes steps. And who knows by this time next year, we can be looking at that position as one of strength for, which would be rare, obviously, as you said, in Cincinnati, we haven't had that in a long time. It has been a while. Here's a question where your head and your heart might have different <laughs> answers. What would you like to see the Bengals do long-term with AJ Green and Joe Mixon? Yeah, indeed. I mean, obviously, just from a pure Bengal fan, you'd never want to see guys like that uh, ever leave. You want them to play their entire career in stripes and then go up into that non-existent ring of uh, fame, Hall of Fame, uh, Ring of Honor, whatever you want to call it, and, uh, you know, just be lifetime Bengals. Realistically, and, um, you know, sort of from a team-building aspect, I think certainly in Mixon's case, you know, our, our one of our main principles in the analytic world is you never pay running backs. Certainly not the kind of contract he's going to command. Uh, I think and I pointed this out before, maybe even in the Almanac, that there are some extenuating circumstances with Joe based on the controversy coming out of college and the fact that Bengals took a chance on him. And both sides were very uh, aptly rewarded for that. So there might be a little bit of residual good feeling, which might, might bring his price down to somewhere where you might think, you know, sort of like with Gio Bernard, when they gave him a second contract, it wasn't a bad move because of his age and because of the contract itself. It wasn't a crippling deal. And I don't know that Mixon has said at any point that he's willing to accept something like that. But if he did, you know, there are ways to sign him, certainly in the medium term, that would not be a, a team-crushing blow in terms of salary cap. But I'd be surprised if that happened. Um, and you just got to move on, unfortunately, if it, if it comes to that. Uh, I don't know that A.J. Green is in quite the same situation. I think even with his age and injury history, if he plays this season and shows the team and the league, really, that he can make it through an entire season unscathed, uh, I think there'll be plenty of teams bidding for his services, but he seems to have indicated that Cincinnati would be the place he wants to go, and I think both sides would want to keep him. Uh, both, you know, both sides want to keep him in Cincinnati. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's hard to answer without seeing him play this year. If he's anything like the old AJ, and we have no reason to think he wouldn't be, then you know I could see where they would give him, uh, extend him to a, at least a competitive deal, and that it wouldn't be completely opposed to that necessarily from a pure team building analytical side but a lot of that depends on how he looks to play if he's really good he might price himself entirely out of the Bengals 
price structure. Uh, you know, he sort of wished for hope for him as a Bengal fan to have sort of a medium year, which shows that he can stay healthy, but not great enough that he's, you know, too expensive. <laughs> I guess it's, that's where the heart and the head collide right yeah. there in the medium. I, I want great year and pay the guy. <laughs> I, should, I do too. I mean, you know, it, it, and who knows what the future of the salary cap is. You hear a lot of doom and gloom, but then the, the owners always cry poor. There's always plenty of money when you need it to be uh, spent in other areas. So, you know, if, if anybody deserves uh, a, a big contract over and above what, you know, certainly other people get, it's A.J. Green. I don't think there's anything, any doubt about that. Couple more questions for Robert Weintraub, a great Twitter follow, by the way, at Rob Wine, W E I N. Has your hope been restored? <laughs> I like to think it was never extinguished, Dan. Come on now. I'm always the eternal optimist. Uh, yeah, I, there's no question. Like I said at the beginning, just watching Joe Burrow play uh, this entire year and knowing he was pretty much uh, ticketed for Cincy since about Thanksgiving, uh, it's been, you know, it's been at full, full, full flame. You know, for a while now, uh, pandemic be damned. Uh, I definitely think uh, you know that a franchise quarterback, as we all know, you know that's the that's the tide that lifts all boats, right? I mean, everything, not just you play on the field. He'll he'll improve the defense because the offense is better. He'll make the coaching staff look better, uh, and he might even you know keep the team in Cincinnati when it's all done. I don't want to put too much on the guy's shoulders, but you know, there's a lot of talk about that. You know, if the team continues down the wrong path, who knows what the future will hold? And maybe there's a, with the stadium lease uh, issue up ahead. Nobody really knows the team is in flux. And the, the one thing that certainly takes that, you know, takes that out of play and, and brings the team into the uh, pride of the civic heart, so to speak, would be a great quarterback and a, and a guy you can look up to. And certainly looks like Joe has everything in that in his positive categories to uh, make that happen just needs to do it on the field and uh you know i'm certainly i'm certainly optimistic i'm cautiously optimistic i guess you'd say because i'm a bengals fan (laughs) and my my hope has been obliterated so often over these years but uh at this point i'm definitely optimistic and that leads to the final question how did a kid from new york state become such a (laughs) diehard bengals fan That's true. And if I had become a Jets or Giants fan like everybody else in my neighborhood, I just would have saved myself a lot of uh, of psychic anguish over the years, I suppose. Um, Uh, Maybe maybe Giants. I don't know about Jets. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think what to answer the question, I'm pretty sure they were the Bengals were playing the Jets. Uh, you know, I was five, six years old, something like that. And you know, you drop in front of the TV and you watch the game. And obviously, the Bengals won that day, or maybe their uniforms look cool. I'm not sure, but whatever alchemy goes on in a little kid's mind, you know, I just said, okay, that's my team. And uh, you know, I've stuck to it. I had plenty of opportunities, I suppose, to change, but you know, you can't do that and be a real fan, right? So uh, I've stuck with the Bengals through thick and mostly thin over these uh, many, many years now, and uh, hopefully, some of that, uh, some of that loyalty will be rewarded with the uh, dawn of a new era, the Joe Burrow era. Your patience will be rewarded, thanks to the quarterback with awesomeness oozing out of every pore. Indeed. Indeed. I said it better myself. (laughs) Uh, We have been chatting with Robert Weintraub, who writes about the Bengals for Cincinnati Magazine and the website, in addition to writing for Football Outsiders. Plus, you are an author of several books, and you have a new one out now. Tell us about it. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, it's called The Divine Miss Marble. It's about a woman named Alice Marble, who, in addition to being the 
greatest female tennis player of the pre-war era, having her uh, illustrious career ended by World War II. Uh, also excelled in a number of off-the-court areas, including, so she says, and the heart of the book is really a detective story, uh, an espionage mission that she uh, went on during World War II and was claimed that she was shot during and uh, had all kinds of daring do. And I follow her path down a lot of unusual and dark paths to, uh, to ferret out her story. And it's really quite fascinating. She's a mysterious and amazing woman, even putting all that mystery aside uh, and somebody who's kind of been forgotten uh, over the years because of just time and, and sports history and because of her, uh, her career was interrupted, but she's an amazing uh, subject. And I hope everybody checks it out. The divine Miss Marble is the name of the book and you can get it, you know, Amazon, penguinrandomhouse.com or anywhere bookstores are open these days, which hopefully is more and more places as we uh, as we get healthier. Let's hope. Sounds like she had some awesomeness oozing out of her pores as well. <laughs> Indeed. The Joe so Burrow of the female tennis uh, <laughs> era, yes. Sounds like a great read. Again, I can't wait to get my uh, Football Outsiders Almanac, and I can't uh, recommend purchasing that more highly to football fans. If you haven't done it before, please do it. Uh, it's it's great, and we all have time to read right now. So uh, this is the perfect time to purchase one. Robert, this has been great. Hopefully we'll do it again down the road. And uh, the next time we do, hopefully we'll be talking about the emerging Bengals under the, the leadership of Joe Burrow. Indeed. Six and two and looking for the playoffs. Uh, that would be nice. Yes, anytime, Dan. Football Outsiders Almanac isn't cheap. The printed version is about 50 bucks, or you can download it for 35 but I think it's worth it. And you can get more information at footballoutsiders.com. Before we get to our next conversation, here's a quick reminder that you can take your Bengals pride to the next level in 2020 with an official Bengals fan package from Prime Sport. It's been a few weeks since we've heard from my broadcast partner Dave Lapham on the podcast. He went on vacation early in the month, and I was out of town last week. But we got together this week to discuss the start of training camp and to answer the Ask Lap questions that you submitted on Twitter. Lap, I want to start with another Never Doubt Dave Lapham lesson. <laughs> oh, great. For more than a month on this podcast, you have talked about the possibility of having a reduced number of players in training camps under these circumstances. And I never said it to you, but in my mind, I'm thinking, no way, the players will never allow it. Well, sure enough, Adam Schefter reported earlier this week that teams will likely have 80 players on the roster instead of the usual 90. Once again, never doubt Dave Lapham. Who does this help? Who does it hurt? Well, it, it hurts all the uh, college free agents, late-round picks that you know are, are going to be using uh, preseason games to, to make their mark a little bit. Um, a lot of times you can evaluate players in certain drills and practice, and, and then all you have to do in the game is see, okay, can he finish? Boy, he's putting himself in great position. Now, can he bring the guy to the ground? You know, And then you see in the games if, in fact, he can do all phases of it. And you make a determination if a guy makes the team or not. Without that, it's it's very very difficult for you know the late round picks and the the college free agents to uh, to make the football team. I mean, uh, you know, unless you're a guy like Tim Crumright, who the very first drill is like, whoa! I mean, this guy, how did he last till the tenth round? Everybody missed on this dude. Um, those those are kind of rare. A lot of times, you just you need reps, you need opportunities to prove yourself. So it really hurts hurts that level of player. What it helps is the the veteran who's hanging on, <laughs> you know, the guy that um, 
maybe can do a, a few things, can provide backup in a few different, a couple of different position areas, and uh, you know can still you know be a factor in the in the room as such in terms of grooming some younger guys. And uh, you know he, he's battling for the last year or two of his career against a guy who you know doesn't get the opportunity to show, or there are fewer numbers of guys going against him to take that job. It just it just makes it uh, makes life a little bit better f- for those guys. So, the union probably said, "Yeah, okay, we'll take we'll take that. That's that's something we'll give on. You know, we'll take that uh, ten fewer players because we're protecting our guys that are already union members. We're protecting their jobs even more so. So you do feel for the guys that uh, and and there's ten per team. That's three hundred twenty guys. Out of three hundred twenty guys, you're probably going to get thirty or so that could really." Make a team, make an impact, have have a career, and those guys you feel really bad for. This is our first conversation since AJ Green signed his franchise tag tender and then spoke to reporters. You asked him several questions during that Zoom call. What stood out? The fact that he is, in my mind, cut from the same cloth as Anthony Munoz. He might be the greatest human being, not you know, in terms of a football player, not just not just a great player. I mean a a, a world class player, but as as well has everything else. I mean everything you could ask for. Just a tremendous human being, a great leader of men. I mean the team is going to be better for having him on the practice field every day. I've said it many times. You know, and even in the off season, you know, when I work out with Anthony, I'm like, oh man, this guy, the great ones, Anthony Munoz, James Brooks, they worked harder than anybody. So it's like, look what Anthony's doing. Look what JB's doing. Am I doing enough? You know and that's the same with A.J. Green. Oh, my gosh, these young players. Look what A.J. Green's doing in practice. Look what he does, you know, uh, getting ready for workouts. Am I doing enough? And it just it raises the boat, you know. So he just makes he makes the football team better in obvious ways, <laughs> you know, on the field, tilting coverage, uh, defenses having to account for him and all that. But the ripple effect all the way down to, you know, how he takes care of his body nutrition-wise, guys see, how he works out, all the little things. I mean – he he just he upgrades the organization every way it can be upgraded and, and most importantly, what kind of guy he is, you know, the human being that he is. Um he's such a plus to a locker room. Speaking of Anthony Munoz, Johnny Unitas ended his career with the Chargers, Emmett Smith with the Cardinals, Joe Namath with the Rams. Anthony Munoz played in preseason games for the Bucks. Thankfully he never played in a regular season game in that uniform. So here's my question, prediction time. Will A.J. Green end his career with the Bengals, or will he eventually wear another uniform? You know, I asked him that very question is, why is it why is it so important for you to finish, you know, as a Cincinnati Bengal? And his answer was exactly what he'd expect from A.J. Green. That's the team that, that took the chance for me. That's the team that picked me. That's the team that said, we want you. And, and a guy like him with the character that he has, um, all things being equal, I think is going to stay with that football team. So it would not shock me at all if A.J. Green takes every single snap of his professional career as a Cincinnati Bengal because, you know, I mean, the organization, obviously, everything we're talking about with A.J. Green, they see it in spades every single day. So, I mean, this is like, you know, parting with uh, <laughs> the biggest diamond you you can mine in a, in, a, in a minefield in Africa and saying, ah, I'm done with that. I'm going to move on to another one. Oh. I think I'll keep that one, you know. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I think I'll just make sure that uh, that I, I wear that until it cracks or, or or whatever happens to diamonds. I don't know what happens to them, but I mean, AJ and I and I really do think 
that he does. He says he feels like he has four years left. And, and we talked about it a few times, Dan, seeing him up there in Cleveland on the field before the game. I'm like, geez. And he said it. I'm not the fastest, but, man, I'm smooth. I'm like, boy, that's part. He is so sinking his hips, getting in and out of cuts. But a guy six foot four, looking like a guy five foot four. The way he can sink his hips and, and get in and out is, is remarkable. And uh, that's what makes, you know, great receivers. Uh, you know, Fred Bolitnikoff, um, guys, like, you know, of that of that type, Steve Largent. They they weren't going to burn, but they just got in and out of cuts. I mean, they changed direction. They had that type of thing uh, in in their game, and were always open. And that's what that's what AJ's got on top of leaping ability, hands, and he's plenty fast too. You know, it's, I, I, I'm not going to say that. Uh, you know, AJ was being very humble as he always is. Well, yeah, I may not be that. Fast. You're pretty fast, man. You can run. You can run. You may not be world class, but you can run, man. And if he stays healthy this year and plays the way that AJ Green has always played when healthy, I personally think the Bengals would pay him as much as any other team in the league would pay him. I agree with you. I agree with you, Dan. I mean, I think that, uh, and I, and I think AJ, AJ seems to me to be the kind of guy that. Um, if he feels like he's been treated fairly and he knows, has a good feeling about his environment and his surroundings and everything, because AJ's not one of these guys that, uh, you know, is a boisterous, you know, outgoing, coming to locker room, it's all about me, 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 hey, I'm AJ Green, here I am. He'd rather be a guy just, you know, just blending in, working as, you know, just, just blending in with the crowd of the locker room. And I think if he feels good about Zach Taylor, the coaching staff, his teammates, Joe Burrow, I think he stays, and um, I, I, I can see it definitely happening. The owners and players are still negotiating details for training camp in the upcoming season. The players pushed for no preseason games. It looks like they're going to get their wish. So how huge of a problem is that for a rookie quarterback like Joe Burrow? You know, it, it's, it's, I think it's got it's to be tough because I'm thinking as an offensive lineman, no preseason games, playing, a, um, playing in, a, in a regular season game, without any preseason snaps whatsoever is like going into the opening night of a play without any dress rehearsal. You know, it's like, hey, you feel a little naked. You know, it's like not quite sure. And maybe not, maybe you're totally sure about what you're supposed to do, but how you're supposed to do it in concert with others, you know, when those stunts happen and all those kind of things that you need to take game reps to get a feel for and make sure that you are all on the same page and everything's locked up, everything's buttoned up. So there's still a little uncertainty, you know. I think I know how it's going to flow, but I'm not really totally sure how it's going to flow. And I think the level of play in the first uh, few games is going to be more like preseason. You know, I think there's going to be tackling issues. There's tackling issues anyway because people don't tackle anymore in practice. But I think it's going to be even more so. Um, And I think, you know, I think some of the uh, pass protection uh, pickups of of twists and stunts is going to be spotty, you know, and, and uh, in, in a young player like like uh, Joe Burrow, um, with AJ Green, for example, Andy Dalton and AJ Green had built up such a rapport that Andy Dalton knew where AJ Green wanted the football on different routes. He wants it here. He wants it back shoulder. He wants to, he wants him to be led here. He wants to be able to have the ball out in front of him. So, so he all that stuff only happens by taking reps and in specifically game reps too, having some sort of an idea. So. I, th- I think there's going to be a, a little bit of an impact, but I, I am a firm believer in what I'm hearing about Joe Burrow that uh, that he is so mature. You know, he's 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 older than 
Mahomes, you know, I mean, he's older than Lamar Jackson. I mean, he's a mature guy, and um, and I, I, you know, in his ability to pick up and understand offense, I don't doubt any of that. But the nuances of of fine tuning, you know, the reps of where different receivers want footballs, and he's really good with that. He didn't put the ball the same place to Jefferson he did to Moss as tight end. I mean, he had he had an idea of exactly where those guys wanted it, and 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 you know, after doing it for so many reps. The receivers know where the quarterback expect them to be, and the quarterback feels the receiver's going to be there, and he's going to put the ball exactly where, you know, that's supposed to be. And that's that's not going to necessarily be there right away. If it is, man, he's a magician. He's Joe Burrow's like, Joe Burrow's more than a human being, and that's for he's a superhero. <laughs> On the one hand, I say to myself, college football teams – don't get preseason games. They have to be ready to go right away. On the other hand, the Bengals don't get the opportunity to schedule an FCS opponent. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that, that's very true. And uh, and I think, you know, college, they'll hit a little more. I mean, in the NFL, it's like, you know, they're, they're, already, they're already concerned now with how many padded practices are there going to be with respect to no preseason games. We know there's only um, 17 during the course of the entire season, you know, one a week. Maybe it's even less than that. Um, so I, I don't know how many padded practices they're going to allow in this negotiated, uh, unusual, you know, the year 2020, 2020, you think perfect vision. Well, 2020 is nothing but blurry. There's no perfect about this 2020. This 2020 is all, man, it's, it's all a fog for everybody. So you don't know what, what to expect. So how many padded practices are you going to have to be able to do some of the things we're talking about in terms of timing things full speed? Now, there's not going to be tackling. But, you know, the one-on-ones, all of that sort of thing, beating uh, beating a defensive back. You know, the receivers, with their footwork, beating defensive backs in and out of cuts on routes like we're talking about, defensive backs, you know, flipping their hips like we're talking all those kind of things. And, you know, the big worry for me, Dan, is is they start playing regular season games and, you know, you're not in as good a football shape as you would have been if you went through training camp, the pushing and pulling all the time. When you do have padded practices, I mean, you can lift weights and run until you're blue in the face. But until you get out there and hit, push, pull, all the tendons, ligaments, all the attachments, that's where the soreness comes. And, man, I'm telling you, the first night of after live contact at training camp, wake up the next morning every year is like rigor mortis, get out of bed like, whoa, oh, well, that's football, you know, and now you got to get into football shape. So if you get into football shape and then the season stops, week three, four, whatever, and you get out of football shape, then how are you going to get back into football shape if they restart it? And that's a concern to me in terms of injuries and all that sort of thing that, that they're talking about. And, and to me, it's almost like a, a delicate balancing act. You don't want to overhit because of player safety, but you don't want to have guys go in not ready to hit in terms of player safety. Where is that balance? Where is that balance of justice there? You know, I mean, that's the big deal. In NFL news this week, the Titans gave Derrick Henry a four-year, $50 million contract extension. They can get out of it after a couple of years with minimal salary cap damage. But in any case, would you give Joe Mixon a similar deal? Yes, I would. I'd give Joe Mixon a similar deal. Um, And, you know, Joe might be looking for more than that. But, I mean, to me... You know, uh, when the Cavs signed, it was like, oh, man, this, who, wh- when is a, a, a running back going to sign, and what is he going to sign for? And then it came back into a, more of a realistic standpoint. Because McCaffrey's so different. I mean, coming out of Stanford, it was like half the, half the league was thinking running back, half the league was thinking wide receiver. I mean, he's that gifted in both of those scenarios. And uh, so he's, he's an unusual guy. He's an exception to the rule. Um, 
I would. I, I would. I mean, Joe obviously was a huge, huge factor in the second half of the season last year. I mean, without AJ around, um, and you know, not having the passing attack they had, and knowing that Joe Bar- uh, Joe Mixon was going to run the football. He still was one of the top rushers in the National Football League the last eight games of the season. So, I he's uh, obviously he's a guy that uh, uh, he's a lightning rod for the rest of the team. Guys gravitate toward him. Uh, they feed off his energy. He provides a lot of energy. He's a, he's a hell of a player. I, I would I'd I'd ink him if I could. There are only five running backs right now making more than ten million a year. McCaffrey's deal is sixteen million a year. Ezekiel Elliott fifteen. Le'Veon Bell thirteen point one two five. David Johnson thirteen. That one hasn't worked out very well. And now Henry twelve point five. That's it. There's nobody between ten and Henry's twelve point five. So if you could get Mixon, in my opinion, somewhere in that range, yep. ten million to twelve point five for four years, yeah, I think that's fair. I do. I agree with you. And uh, you know, you look at it. Um, yeah, Johnson obviously that that didn't did not work out at all. Le'Veon Bell, you know, the, the the big money hasn't started to pay dividends yet either. So you look at those and you say, oh, you know, I wonder. I I just think McCaffrey's in a different category, and so is so is Henry. I mean, God, he's a, you know he's a monster. I mean that guy's that guy's a, a, a physical freak uh, to be able to do the things that he can do at his size and. And uh, you know, just his foot speed and his ability to, to you know, make people miss when he does. And I, you know, he's he's a he's a different breed of cat. But I do think Joe Mixon is in the upper tier of complete backs in the National Football League. I mean, Joe won't hesitate to bloody his nose, you know, in pass protection either. I mean, he's he's a complete back for sure. So just like Batman, we took a gigantic spotlight put the Bengals logo into the Cincinnati sky, and that was the signal for Ask Lap questions on Twitter. (laughs) So we've got a bunch from people. Here goes. Randy is up first. With no preseason games, what's the over-under on early season injuries? And and rather than trying to come up with some sort of number for an over-under, just in general terms, do you expect a big increase in injuries? That's that's a big – that's an interesting question because that's what I was talking about with – um, I can understand how guys want to – you have to ramp into it. There's not going to be anything but uh, lifting and conditioning initially and then uh, unpadded practices and then a few padded practices down the stretch. And if you're not – if you have not had, at least in a preseason game, no matter when it is, you know, preseason game number three is when the veterans usually get the most snaps and they go through that – stiffness thing I was talking about that football getting in football shape kind of thing and you still have time to get yourself ready for that for that opener I don't know I just I wonder I can see a lot of guys after the first game of the season waking up on Monday morning going oh my god I've never felt like this and the Bengals play on Thursday in week two yeah they get the short week they they get Cleveland um and you know it's it's if you're an offensive lineman working against the Chargers, have a pretty good physical defensive front, and because sometimes you play against teams and they're finesse teams, but you know it's it's relative. It's still there's still some physicality, but some are just brutes. You know, some just try to beat you up. Chargers have have some force in their in their front seven. And you wake up on uh, on Monday morning and it's like, whew, I play Thursday night. I'm 30 years old feel a little stiff i'm gonna be able to play thursday night i mean those, those kind of things start to start to be a little bit of a factor we've talked about it before you know when i was 22 or 23 
I could play Sunday and felt like I could play again Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, once I get in football shape. You hit 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, it's, it's a little bit different. It's like, yeah, yeah, I need all those days. I, I don't, Thursday night football, wow, whew. Monday night football is great. You get that extra, but then you got the short week after Monday night football. I don't really like that short week. So, yeah, those are all those are all big factors, and I and I do think that that's going to be an issue. It's going to be very interesting how they handle. Fortunately, it's Cleveland, so they have a lot of knowledge of some of the personal. But they've changed a lot. They have a new head coach. They have a new offensive system. They have a new this, new that. So they have some sort of familiarity with the Cleveland Browns, but not as much as they. They have another years for a short week, so it's going to be very interesting how they handle practice. I think a lot of that week is going to be mental and a, and a lot less of it physical. How many games did you play in 1983? Man. Played uh, 16 games with the Bengals. Uh, we played, oh, no, and then four preseason games. So I played 20, 20 games and then played 20 more with the New Jersey Generals and then two in the post of 42 games. 42 football games in one calendar year. Less than a calendar year. In less than a calendar year. And you still have all your marbles. And I was thir- oh, I was 32, <laughs> coming on 33 years old. I remember when I was done with that season with the New Jersey Generals, I went to Cape Cod and laid in the ocean. And I, just, I laid there like it was a natural, um, like, hot, not hot tub, but just the waves, you know, just maybe soak a little bit in the salt water with the waves. And, man, I was I was struggling. I mean, I'd go home and, and lay down after practice, could barely get up and shuffle to the table and eat dinner. And the uh, the trainers would give me Endosin, which is what they give horses at the racetrack for, for, for uh, swelling or you know, inflammation. I'm like, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, these will be all right. I mean, these little red pills, Endosin, to make sure I could play on the following uh, on the following Sunday. Oh, my gosh, that was so brutal. Here's a Dave Lapham interview from the end of the 1983 season. <laughs> from that Anderson. All right. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> Next question comes from Jim. I think I know the answer to this one. Jim asks, would it be best to sign or trade for a veteran quarterback and let Joe Burrow sit since this is the worst season to start a rookie quarterback in history? You know, it's it's interesting. I mean, it there is there is you could you could probably say that it might be the worst season to start a rookie quarterback in NFL history, but I, I don't think I don't think I'd trade for a, a veteran quarterback. To I, I really have a belief that mentally he's going to be okay. If you if you trade for a veteran quarterback, honestly, I don't think he'll have obviously reps experience. But Joe Burrow, I think, understands football to the point that just about any veteran quarterback in the league. So. Joe Burrow may not have the reps like we're talking about, Joe Green and others, but no, neither would the guy they trade for. I mean, he would have no, no uh, prior, you know, workouts or anything, any kind of timing, any kind of. This is this is exactly where AJ Green, you know, wants the football. This is, he doesn't have any of that either. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd necessarily go that route. I think Philip Rivers, obviously, he knows what to expect more than uh, more than Joe Joe does, but. I mean, he's in a whole new situation with, with the with the Indianapolis Colts. He hasn't thrown to any of those guys. He and Joe Burrow will be on the exact same starting point in terms of what kind of reps. Every every quarterback in the league, other than you know Drew Brees, that's why you know the the, the New Orleans Saints said, "Yeah, fine." You know, I, we'll, no matter what the league says, we'll see you at training camp. They got Drew Brees. They got all these weapons that he's thrown to. Those guys are so far ahead of the curve 
on veterans and rookie quarterbacks that are with new teams. That's it's it's a big big issue. There's no doubt. Next question from Doctor Who Day: Why are players in favor of no preseason games? You know, I think they just the injury risk. You know, I think they just uh, I think players would love to see preseason games gone anyway. Um, and players don't really play all that much. Veteran players don't play all that much in the preseason. Obviously, preseason games are intended more for determining the last 10 players on your roster and practice squads and all those sort of things. It's player evaluation of the back end of that. That's why there's 90 90 players. They want to bring as many as they possibly can in to have options to see what they can to fill out their roster and their practice squad. Um, So players are thinking, you know, I, I want to avoid injury. They will play usually in preseason game number three. They'll play a half, cool down, warm back up, play a series in the third quarter and get that part of it uh, under their belts. And that's another thing that they're not going to have going into that first week. Go in there at halftime, cool down, warm back up, go out there for the second half. be the first time you're doing that in in, in quite a while. Um, So the players – but to me, it's kind of foolhardy because now with with, uh, salary cap, this year's salary cap is $198 million. Preseason – with no preseason games, next year's salary cap is already going to be affected because players say, oh, I only get like 1500 bucks a week to play in the preseason, and I don't start getting paid until the regular season. Those big paychecks will come in. So a $1,500 paycheck could become a $35,000 paycheck once the regular season starts for some of these guys. But in terms of salary cap, that is part of the salary cap. That is Part, that that money that that revenue is split the following year in the salary cap. So the veteran players have to realize that's something that's not going to be there. I mean, people are projecting the salary cap could be down fifty, sixty million bucks next year, from one hundred ninety eight to like one hundred thirty eight million bucks, and not having a preseason with. I mean, the TV revenue is obviously not as big as it is in the regular season, but there's there's um, tickets, there's concessions, there's all those sort of things. And the owners aren't paying out big bucks in terms of uh, the pl- to the players, but that money gets split. The revenue gets split for that, that following year's salary cap, so there won't be any any uh, preseason revenue coming up in 2021. They're going to have to spread that salary cap damage out over the course of several years, don't you think? Because teams aren't just going to say, all right, we got to lop $50 million worth of players off the roster. I don't see that happening. How would you like to be Kansas City with the Mahomes signing, you know, and then Chris Jones, these big contracts, um, you know, anybody that in this offseason, how about Miles Garrett up in Cleveland? Are you kidding me? You know, give him that kind of money, and then all of a sudden maybe next year's cap is going to take a major hit if they don't prorate it like you're talking about. It's like, wow, geez, maybe we shouldn't uh, maybe, maybe we should have thought twice about the timing of this, you know. Maybe we should have waited a little a little while longer, but – um, you know, because everybody's doing these deals with the perception and, you know, well-thought-out perception that the cap's going to do nothing but go up. Well, coronavirus said, eh, not so fast. <laughs> the best laid plans. All right, next question comes from Will. What's been the issue with Billy Price that's prevented his play in college to carry over to the NFL, and can it be corrected? Well, I think the one of the things is injury. You know, I mean, he was durable, as durable as you know, can be in, in, in college, um, played a bunch of games at Ohio State and a ridiculous number, never missed, really. And then right away at the uh, combine, uh, before the draft, he tears his pectoral doing, uh, you know, the bench press, uh, 
work, and, and that, that sets him back a little bit. And then he has the, the, the plantar fasciitis, or uh, not plantar fasciitis, he had the Liz Frank injury, and that those are significant. Where right between the, the, the big toe and the second toe, you, you, you have a separation of the bone, and there can be some soft tissue damage in there as well. And you have a crack in the foundation, you know, and then all of a sudden no, those are two integral uh, areas for for an offensive lineman, feet. That's where it starts. You have to, no matter in sports, no matter what you're talking about, it starts with your feet, getting you in place to block. And then it finishes with your hands. And if your pectorals messed up, you can't really finish the way you want to. With the, you know, everything's connected. Kinesiology, everything's connected. You can't really finish upper body wise the way you want to, or put yourself in position to block the way you want to with the lower body injury. So those are a factor. And uh, and I and I do think um, he's he's got a little bit of an issue with with the, his arm length. And you know I know people say Jonah Williams has got shorter arms as well. He seems to be able to handle it a little bit differently. Billy sometimes Billy ends up getting in a, a, a situation when I watch him where his, uh, if you're a skier his his chin's out over the tip of his skis. He's leaning too much. He's too too much forward. And why he's doing that is with the shorter arms, he wants to get the extra length of leaning forward to try to negate the defensive lineman's longer arms. And that just gets him in trouble because they get to the back of the cantilever and they'll get him on the ground. You know, you're off balance and you're, and you're on the ground. So, I mean, you, you, you have to work with what you got, um, but you do have to make sure that, you, you know, you're not, you're not leaning. In the National Football League, if you lean, man, defensive linemen, they're just drooling, waiting for guys to get off balance and lean in the National Football League. John asks, given how well Fred Johnson played at left tackle at the end of the season, is there any chance the Bengals put him at left tackle and Jonah Williams at right tackle? I guess there could be a possibility, but I do think that uh, I think they want to give Jonah every opportunity to, uh, to, to prove that he can play the left tackle position. He played it at Alabama at a very, very high level. Uh, Fred Johnson, you know, played one game, but it was an NFL game. You know, no question about it. And he finished the season at the left tackle position and and fared well. But the projection of Jonah, a healthy Jonah Williams, and uh, you know Jonah obviously coming off a of rotator cuff surgery with a shorter arm. To me, is there is there any coincidence to the fact that as you're in a drill without pads even in OTAs and you're trying to stop somebody and you're maybe not where you should be position wise with the shorter arm and you tear your rotator cuff. I don't. I don't know if you could. If you're not. If you're not in in that position. If you have a little bit more length here, who knows? I mean, these are all speculations. Obviously, you just don't know. But hopefully, that rotator cuff is strong and healthy, and uh, he he shows that he can play the left tackle the way he played it at Alabama. And then I think Fred Johnson, Bobby Hart, uh, Adenogy. I'd have a, a best man win at the right tackle position. You guys battle it out. Not to say that Jonah is, you know, nobody's going to even take snaps other than Jonah Williams. Obviously, you can't do that. So I, I think Fred Taylor, Bobby Hart, whoever it is, Adenogy, whoever it is, whoever that swing tackle is has to be able to play right and left. So, you know, maybe uh, knowing Jimmy Turner, maybe he will play Jonah a little bit at right because in the National Football League, you can't just be like one, one position. You can't be just, I'm a left tackle, and that's all I am. You have to be able to play left or right. Can you go inside and play guard? If you're a guard, can you you know be a backup center or vice versa? So I think position versatility is extremely important, and I think you need to expose guys to at least uh, you know the scenario that hey we get beaten up, you may have to play some right right tackle. You know our, our best option, 
this guy can play left, but he can't play right at all. You can play right at all. You've shown you can play right a little bit. So, you know, the more you can do, the more valuable you can be. Final ask lap question. This one comes from PJ. With the addition of Von Bell to go with Jesse Bates, what kind of role does Sean Williams have? That's an interesting uh, question. I mean, I think the the Bengals have played a lot of three safety looks in their in a lot of their sub packages, and uh, you know, Sean is obviously capable of doing that. And it's it's uh, it's not a given that Von Bell will start at that safety position. They paid him a lot of money, though. So you know, it's it's like uh, again, you, if you have, it's, it's better to have three safeties than only two. And uh, you know, Sean can play; he's very physical. Von Bell's very physical. Either one of them could play like that linebacker safety hybrid type position in some of the sub packages when they go to three safeties. So um, with the problems that they had at the linebacker position last year, they they did do a lot of that. And um, um, Sean and and Vaughn both show that they, if, if they can, you know, get off blocks, defeat blocks, separate from blocks, and, and, and make plays in the running game and not be a liability, they could be on the field a lot. Um, so I, I know Sean is, uh, is very highly regarded in the locker room by his teammates and by the coaches and the coaching staff. So uh, they'll, they'll carve a role for him. I mean, there's, there's no question about it. It's, it's, uh, you, you basically, you don't say, all right, I've got – uh, these are the defenses we're going to run no matter what personnel I've got. You basically look at your personnel. You have an idea of what you want to do schematically, but sometimes it morphs a little bit based on what you have from a personnel standpoint. Where are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? Accentuate your strengths. Hide your weaknesses. And uh, and, and you go from there. And having a, a, a guy the caliber of Sean that's had as many NFL snaps as he had, ain't nothing wrong with that. Normally in training camp, we're standing between the two fields, right up next to the action, talking to people, picking up interesting material. This year, it sounds like we'll be watching from a distance, <laughs> wearing masks, six feet apart, but that's okay. I'm looking forward to it anyway, and on our next podcast, we'll look ahead at uh, some training camp battles that we're looking forward to watching. How's sounds that good. sound? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, we're going to have to have binoculars. I think we're going to be a little ways away. And uh, it's going to be very interesting not having access to players in the locker room. And I mean, we can't even go into our studio. I mean, there's there's very little that uh, I guess we're going to be spending a lot of time up in the press box at Paul Brown Stadium up top there. And Dan, are we going to travel for away games? We're going to be calling football games from up there in the press box in a, on a monitor, I guess depending on uh, how this whole thing goes. One thing we know is we don't know. We don't yeah. know what the heck's going to happen. It can change weekly, daily, hourly. I mean, it's it's that type of year. It ain't 2020. It's about uh, it's, it's a lot blurrier than that. There's no clear vision to what this year is going to unfold, I'll tell you. My thanks to Lap and to Robert Weintraub, and that's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Prime Sport the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.